This week we are starting our series on the book of Ephesians. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. I grew up in the 90s and I watched a lot of sports. Like any middle, high school, young college guy, I I thought sports were the best. And I was drawn to uh, football. It was my favorite. I also like basketball because it's just mesmerizing to me for people who are seven foot tall to move that quickly. I love professional wrestling. I've considered ordering a belt multiple times. I, I haven't yet. It's coming. It's coming. I'll be standing up here with it. But when you're there in that world of football and basketball and professional wrestling, and you are also at church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, you're there for royal ambassadors. If you don't speak Baptist, royal ambassadors were basically Baptist Boy Scouts. They gave us denim vests. We wore those with our denim jeans. We were in this Canadian tuxedo, for whatever reason, in front of the entirety of the church, taking up offering. But if you are in church regularly, you would come across, if you love sports, football, basketball, professional wrestling, this thing called the power team. Does anyone in this room remember the power team? Now, if yes, if you, if you do not recognize these men and their sweet, sweet mullets, I need you to know that various churches would have them in, and there are also cheap knockoffs of this, like the the great value team and other things. But you would show up and with a canned good in your hand, and you would watch these men break things. That was the whole thing. They were not football players anymore. They could not make it as professional wrestlers, so they broke baseball bats over their knees. They would. Uh, I have a friend who was a member of the power team, and he let me know, yes, there were definitely feats of strength that were at work, but we also knew that there were little tricks that were there. There were things that we could do. If we hit the bat in the right place, it would break in, the perfect, in a perfect way. If we struck the ice, because they would break through ice. I don't know why they broke through ice. I don't know what display of power breaking through ice is, especially if it's melted. I'm so good at breaking through ice in my freezer. But you would notice and you would watch. If I hit it in the exact right place, it will shatter. He would let me know that the tricks that were involved were really there to let you know there was a desire for them to see for, for the, there was a desire that they had that we would see them display power. And then there was this counterfeit power. Perceived power. What they wanted you to interact with. When we go into the book of Ephesians, what we're going to see about Paul and his time there it is that he is going to have to go into it with power. When you read through the story of Acts, you see that Paul, that Paul spends a couple of days in, with the church at Galatia, the churches that were there. He would spend a few days in Philippi. He spent a week in Thessalonica. He spent a day or two in Berea, a little bit of time in Athens, 18 months in Corinth, and then he's in Ephesus. Paul goes to Ephesus. His, initially, it's, I'm going to be there for a short period of time. 
He's there for three months. It's this major city, Ephesus, this city. It's a major place in the Mediterranean world. It's a port city. We know what that is here in our area. It's a hub for trade. It's a, it's a hub for culture, for money, for temples, for politics, for merchants, for slaves. And it is a hub because of all of those things for power. The story of Ephesus is the story of power. Everything that we read in the entirety of the book is about the power that we see on display. Everything that we know about Ephesus lets us know that it was a place where not only social and civic power were at work, it was also this religious place with spiritual power, dark power at times. They were concentrated there. So Luke begins his account of talking to us about Paul and his work there with the story of God's outpouring of his spirit. The power of God at work. N.T. Wright says this, There must be nothing secondhand about the Spirit's power when we are faced with the powers of this world. I'm going to read Acts chapter 19 over us as we jump into our study of the book of Ephesus. When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and he came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, no, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And well, into what were you baptized? He asked them. We were baptized into John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's bab- John, he baptized with the baptism of repentance. Telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That's Jesus. When they heard this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, they slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking disciples and, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years. So that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles in Paul, by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, they also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, they were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit, he jumped on them, he overpowered them all, he prevailed against them, so they ran out of the house naked and wounded. We'll be back to that. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. 
After these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After, after I've been there, he said, it's necessary for me to see Rome as well. After spending some time in Macedonia, two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. There was a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. And when he had assembled them as well as the workers, he engaged in this type of business. He said, Men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see and you hear that not only as Ephesus, but also in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and misled considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hands are not gods. Not only do we run the risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin. The very one all of Asia and the world worship. When they'd heard this, they were filled with rage and they began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusions and the fusion and they ran all together into the amphitheater, they dragged Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples, they did not let him. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia who were his friends sent word to him pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. Some were shouting one thing and some were shouting another. Because the assembly was in confusion, most of them did not know why they had come together. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they pushed him to the front. Motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they recognized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he said, People of Ephesus, what person is there who does not know the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of great Artemis and of the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and do not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who, do not, who are blasphemers of our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, the courts are in section and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, we run a risk of being charged with rioting for what's happening today. There's no justification that we can give as a reason for this disturbance. After this, after saying this, he dismissed the assembly. The first thing that we see in this text is Paul interacting with 12 men who claim to be baptized into the person of Jesus. They, they actually, or rather, into John's baptism. And Paul goes on to point out to them that that was a very helpful, very directive, very instructional thing for you to be baptized in that. That's a baptism of repentance. And we should always be considering what it means for us to turn from our sin. But we don't just turn from our sin, we turn to Jesus. And somehow in the story that was communicated to you men in Acts chapter 19, you've missed Jesus. And no matter how many things you've done right and how many ways you are avoiding what you have, you have defined as sin, if you are missing Jesus, you are missing the point. 
Not only that, you don't have the power of the Spirit. You miss the power of the Spirit. He is a void in this baptism that you have been baptized into. So when we look at this text, we, we begin to see very quickly that Paul is going to interact with people throughout this next chapter, this chapter of Acts chapter 19, about what real power is. And I think that if we're going to be believers who consider what God says to us about power in the year of our Lord, 2022, we need to ask the same question as well. When we begin to talk about the power of God and the power of His Spirit and how God works and lives and speaks to His people and what God would have His people to do, who God would have His people to be, we have to ask a very important why. And in so doing, we're asking this. Do we want God's power to work through us or for us. When you begin to consider who God is and why God is that and how God is that, are you someone who is concerned with God working for you? As if He is your in, indentured employee. Someone who has signed up for what you would have Him to accomplish. Do we want to be people who see God's power work through us? Or, or for us? What do we want God to do? And what are we asking God to do? He sees these men. There's no acknowledgement of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. They have insufficient knowledge of Jesus, the Messiah, and Paul taught them the full truth. Over and over, as you read about what Paul did with the church of Ephesus, he taught them the full truth. I laid it all on the line. Everything was poured out so that you would know who God is and why God works the way that He does. Paul taught them this whole truth. And that whole truth includes this. Apart from the power of the Spirit, when you fight against sin, in your own power, you lose. We cannot overcome sin in our own power. Now, for these men, they have not come to a full realization as to who Jesus is. However, when we look at this in light of who we are, the people who fill this room, Many of you claiming to have a walking relationship with Jesus, a right relationship with Jesus, how many of us are functioning in a way, in the way that these men seem to function? Attempting to fight sin in our own power. As if, okay, I know the wrong things that I should not do, and I know the bad things that I should avoid, so I'm going to white-knuckle grip this, I'm going to defeat this on my own, and we overlook the power of the Spirit and how God would work in and through His people. How God would display to us by the power of His Word who He really is and how by His grace and His grace alone we can see sin overcome. That we would be people who see that the, the obstacles that we face each day are not things that we will outrun. They are not things that we will overcome if we are attempting to outrun or overcome them in our own power. How many of us have committed to a form and a version of Christianity that subconsciously depends upon us behaving a certain way, acting a certain way, interacting a certain way, and we miss the Spirit of God alive and at work in His people? That God would work in us and through us. That God would display to us that anything that we see in light of sin overcome in our lives is because of grace and grace alone. So you've got Paul in this passage. And you see this unique situation in the book of Acts. You'll see this, this 
consideration of tongues in the book of Acts, what that means for the Spirit to fall. Our, one of our, our former pastor, there's only one former pastor. Hopefully that will hold for a while. He walked through the book of Acts for, for years here. And if you want to do a deep dive in, into, into what we believe as a church about the power of the Spirit, those things are available for us online. He does an ex- excellent job teaching through the power of the Spirit. And I just want you to hear me say this. As a pastor, it is important and beneficial for me to affirm what God did in the life of our former pastor while he was here. If we don't do that, if we, if we miss the idea that God has been doing a continual work in this body, what are we really doing? God's carrying it by the power of the Spirit. So if you would like to see what Brian talked to us in Acts, he shares and he does a fantastic job walking through that book. But in this passage, we have this unique situation, unique setup where these men begin to speak in tongues. And then Paul moves to the next thing. There's not a long explanation here. We deal with that more in the, in the letters. The next thing that you see is how the power of the Spirit is alive. And how we as people, God's people, can function by knowing Him and knowing what He says to us. When, when we are functioning in our own power, we can overlook certain things. And I don't want us to do that. Verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them uh, about the kingdom of God. His whole point was the kingdom. The goal is for them to see the kingdom, to know the kingdom, to be part of the kingdom, to, to establish for them this idea that the kingdom of God is not something that is of this world. He speaks, and, he, and there comes a point when they become frustrated. You notice that in verse 9, because there were some who slandered the way. I love that phrase in the Bible. Whenever Paul, whenever Luke rather talks to us about Christianity, he rarely calls us Christians. When he does, it's a negative thing. They called them Christians. That's, that's a being statement. And there's nothing wrong with us being called Christians. But when he talked about Christians... Those who would align their lives with the broken body, shed blood of Jesus, he called them the way. So it wasn't so much about where we were or where we are. It's all about where God is taking us. God is taking us in a direction. Paul speaks of Jesus. He speaks of the way, and it frustrates them. And the leaders tell him they're not going to listen to him there anymore. So what does Paul do? He rents a space from a guy named... Tyrannus, which sounds like a terrible person to rent from. It literally means tyrant. He changes direction. Changes direction because you see the subversive power of God at work in a world where that does not necessarily seem to be okay. He rents out a space. Think about Paul's life at this point. He's not just teaching every day. He's not even really paid to teach. He has to have another job. He's workshopping out there. He gets up before the sun comes up. He is making tents. And not like the tents that we buy at REI or Academy or wherever you have chosen to buy your tents. He's making tents by hand. From 11 to 4, he taught these people during what was considered their rest time. 
five hours a day in the middle of a day. He would teach them in this place. He's paying for it with the money that he earns from his other job. He would visit people and he would encourage them to turn from their sin and to turn toward the person of Jesus. All the while knowing that it was all about the grace of God. That all that he would accomplish did not come to him. You would hear Paul, you would hear this echo in the speech of Paul consistently. Everything that I am able to do is by the, by the grace of God and his power alone. Just God. God's at work. This is a God thing. One apologist says this, No matter how hard we work to get it, it was still God that let us have it. No amount of work can supersede sovereignty. It is not the grind, it is grace. And it is helpful for us as followers of Jesus in this day to be reminded of that. Because we should work hard. We should seek to make much of God by the way that we work and by the way that we go about doing our jobs. However, what God provides for us is simply from God's grace and just His grace. He's performing these miracles. You get to verse 11 and you see the power of Paul, rather the power of Jesus on display through Paul. He's walking from place to place and people are being healed and he doesn't even realize it. They're just trying to touch him with their face cloths and aprons. They, they touched his skin. They were brought to the sick and diseases. They just left them. The evil spirits came out of them. So at this point in the text, you see that the life of Paul, in many ways, because of whom he has attached himself to, is aligning with what we see in the life of Jesus. If you remember in Mark, there is a place where a woman who is diseased sneaks up behind Jesus to touch his cloak. And she finds healing there. You see Paul demonstrating this. Not even realizing it's on display. That's the thing though about God's power. God doesn't have to work in ways that we expect Him to work or do things in the way that we would look for Him to do things. He's at work in a million different ways all of the time. We may notice two, Pastor John Piper says. God is always at work. The thing is, when you see real power, there are some who want to counterfeit it or to come alongside of it and attempt to take some of that for themselves for the sake of their power. There's a group of itinerant Jewish extras. They, they attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord, verse 13 says, Jesus over those who had evil spirits. I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. That's just a, a mouthful. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest. There is plenty of Reddit deep dive for us on this Sceva, which sounds skeezy, if we'll just go with it. This man and his sons, they were attempting to cast out demons by Jesus who Paul preaches. How many of you, let me just ask, this is the transparent place, we're open. How many of you, whether it's with a cousin or a sibling, or maybe somebody in high school, have ever been in a fight? How many of you are lying to me right now? Fight! We are about to see what sets itself up as a fight. Most of the time in fights with my brothers, with my brother, or my cousins, or in the fights that I get to moderate at my house, 
There is not an objective winner. There's just not. And if you've ever fought with a brother or a sister, you more than likely did not notice an objective winner. The seven sons of Sceva go in. And they attempt to cast out a demon by the name of Jesus who Paul is preaching about. And the demon replies to them, I know Jesus. I've heard of Paul. But who are you? Because he's a demon, we can probably insert a bleep in that. Who are you? Why are you trying to tell me what to do? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered all seven and skeezy daddy, and prevailed against them. So they ran out of the house naked and wounded. Here is a rule of thumb. If there is a fight and you come in and you are wearing clothes, and you walk out and you are not wearing clothes, you did not win that fight. It is, we see them flee. 17, when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. Jesus even using this, he's used Paul going into a place that he has to rent to display his power. He's using these terrible humans to display his power. God always at work. We cannot miss that God's at work even in the times that it doesn't seem as if he is. But what we can learn is there are two things that play in that passage that I don't want us to miss. It is dangerous to be opposed to God. It's obvious in this passage that the demon is opposed to God. It seems as if it's far more dangerous to speak on behalf of God without permission. It doesn't take much to see that there are numerous people speaking on behalf of Yahweh, on behalf of Jesus, without permission today. Saying things that God would not say contradicting who God actually is. Many became believers in verse 18 and came confessing and disclosing their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone, so they calculated their value. It was found to be 50,000 pieces of silver. But I'm assuming you're not measuring in gold and silver, unless you listen to certain podcasts. 50,000 pieces of silver is equivalent to around $5 million. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. What you can't miss is in verse 20, it's translated different ways. When you read it in the New Living, it says it had a powerful effect. When you read it in the New International Version, rather than prevailed, it talks about the power of God was was displayed. And you see people who are stepping away from things that they found great value in because of the power of Jesus, the power of His Spirit, the power of the cross. And when we get the power of the cross... And what it does, it it undoes, it kills the selfish ambition and desires in each of us. 
The power of the cross of Jesus should be undoing us consistently. Making us less like us and more like the Jesus who we claim to align ourselves with. You then get to this point in the text after the, the story has had a powerful effect and the new international says it grew in power. Where there is a riot in Ephesus. So we have moved in this story from people who were attempting to work in their own power to, to these places where we can see that Paul was relying on the power of God to the power of God and his healing being displayed to a demon attempting or to a man attempting to cast out a demon apart from the power of God to a place where we are seeing a different picture of power that is just as dark. Because the, the impact of what Paul was doing was costing people money. There is a power at work here that we cannot overlook. 21. After these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, it's necessary to go to Rome as well. He's planning this trip out. After sending to Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. Yet again, someone attempting to, to thwart the direction that God seems to be going. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines, because I would assume that's what silversmiths do, of Artemis. He provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. So just to understand Artemis, she is a goddess of this area. She is the, uh, the patron goddess of Ephesus. If you are familiar with Greek mythology, she's in a sense Diana fused with a god who'd been there even hundreds of years before. Artemis is the goddess of the hunt and the goddess of babies because she's a lady and they had to give her the babies, I assume. As they were attempting to delve out the gods and their responsibilities, can you think about this conversation? We've got Jupiter, we're going to base him sort of kind of on Zeus. He's in charge, and Mercury, he's the mailman, so he's got to move really fast. And Artemis, she's the goddess of hunting and babies. The goddess of hunting and babies, because why not? Because Zeus cannot be bothered with diapers, he has to worry about lightning bolts. So you've got this picture of Artemis, that's what she looks like, very powerful uh, here is a, a model of the temple of Artemis. It's considered one of the seven wonders of the world. Here's a picture of some of her followers, hunting and babies. Um, I listened to Trusa. Look, if, if that offends you, if you haven't been here long, I, I listened to a history podcast, and they discussed that there are people now, serious, seriously who are attempting to resurrect the worship of the goddess Artemis. This goddess isn't real. I, I know that's probably not news to you. But it wasn't news to Demetrius either. Notice what he says. A person named Demetrius, a silversmith, had made silver shrines of Artemis. He provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. 
when he'd assembled them as well, the workers engaged in the type of business. He said, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. It has nothing to do with a connection or an affection for this goddess. You, you see and you hear that not only in Ephesus, but also in all Asia, he's costing us money. Friends, by definition, God makes stuff, and they're having to make her. He knows there's nothing to this. What are the things that we hold that we seem to worship that there's really nothing to? If you make it, it can't be God. But we let things reign and rule in our hearts and lives. I don't want my business to be discredited. And then he comes alongside in verse 27 and says, But, you know, the temple of the great goddess Artemis, she may be despised. And her magnificence may come to, on the verge of ruin. The very one all of Asia and the world worship. The temple of Artemis is one of the seven wonders of the world. It is, it is vast before it was destroyed in comparison to relatively similar structures. It's seven times larger than the Parthenon. It's massive. Between the silversmiths and the people who were attempting to genuinely worship this goddess, Paul and his way were causing a disruption. There's confusion. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were filled with rage and they cried out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. First point of conversation, it's going to cost us. And by the way, it's aligned with what we claim to worship. The city was filled with confusion. They rushed all together into the amphitheater. This place seated around 20,000 people, if I read correctly. Paul wants to go in because Paul would like to talk to 20,000 people. And if I'm being completely transparent with you, I sometimes struggle to talk to one. Paul wanted to go in before the people and they just wouldn't let him. Everybody stops him. Not just the followers, but just the city people who kind of liked him. When they get in, reason prevails eventually. They say Artemis can't be faced. That's untrue. She gets faced. Because she's not real. But there's nothing that we have against these men. They didn't rob the temple. We have a court system. There are pro-councils there. The Romans are going to be mad at us. So right now, you may be wondering, why in the world are we walking through a story about the influences of power in whatever way they manifest, whether it's spiritually dark power or counterfeit power or maybe even the power of finance and resource over us. Why are we having this conversation from Acts chapter 19 about the book of Ephesus? Friends, for us to understand this, the letter that we will enter into next week, we have to understand the world that shaped it. 
that Paul walked into a city where all of these things were at play. Every single one of them at work in opposition to God. In opposition to the hope of Jesus. In opposition to the power of the Spirit. And as he walks into the city, he sees and he interacts and he eventually will come back and write a letter to these people. And these experiences have impacted and affected the way the Spirit would work in his life as he, these words are put together. Our everyday situations shape us. Are we approaching them by the power of the Spirit with the truth of who God is? To understand this letter, we have to understand the world that shapes it. And what matters to us when we ask hard questions like this, how many of us are trying to defeat sin in our own power, like we see in the early portion of Acts chapter 19? How many of us look at isolated darkness? How many of us look at the isolated darkness, the one thing missing that is at work in every aspect, in everything apart from Jesus? How many of us think that darkness is one thing when we don't realize that it's present everywhere? It's present in the most benign-seeming places. I think we should want to provide for our families. I think that's really, really important, but that can also be a God that we hold. How many of us are missing what God is doing? How many of us cringe to think that following Jesus may cost us? It's to this world that God works through Jesus by the power of His Spirit. It's to that world that we see it. One commentator says about the book of Ephesus, Paul's letter taught deep theological realities about the powers and principalities against which believers do battle. And the Ephesians were in the thick of that fight. In short, the Ephesians were very much like us. So would we enter into this time considering all that God is saying and all that God is doing and align ourselves over and over by His Word to the power of His Spirit with the message of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? If you are not a believer, you don't get to overcome sin. You can't. We are only able to do that by the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus, that we remember at the end of our service today with this cup with the bread that's in it. If you're here and you're not a believer, I would ask you this. If you want to talk to me about what it means to trust Jesus, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. I would love for us to interact about the message of Jesus, the hope that is provided by that. <clears throat> if you're a believer, 
Sometimes weeks are weightier than others, and this may be one of those for you. Maybe you look at your own life and you see where you have attempted to overcome sin in your own power. Would you turn from your... That in itself is a sin. Would you turn from that and turn toward the hope that we remember today, the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus? If you're not a believer, don't drink the cup. It's just a cup of juice. It's not even that much. But if you're a believer, I would encourage you to turn your attention and your affection to what God has done for you in the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. Jared, God is through that in a moment, but I want to be very clear about that. If you're a believer, do not try to find hope in yourself. If you look at your life and you've overlooked the idea that darkness is present in everything apart from Jesus, including the wars that you fight, your heart's attitude. Would you turn from yourself and turn toward Jesus? If you look at the stuff that you make, would you turn from that and turn to Jesus? Because the Spirit is at work in His Word, and I pray that God would remind us of that today. Father, we trust You. We believe in You. Lord, we do. We, we just do. And if we don't, You help us too. For the believers in this room, will we turn our attention and our affection to You, Lord, and turn away from the things that we have valued more than we should this week? For the non-believers in this room, God, would You call them to salvation so that we could even have a conversation this morning about what that cup means, what, what that cracker means for them. Father, we trust you. We trust you. We, we believe that you are at work in us. And by the power of your spirit, God, I pray that we will align our hearts and lives with you. That you, you would have our affection. That you would receive our attention. And because you have received our affection and attention, Lord, that you would help us to see the world the way that you see it. Help us see our neighbor the way that you see our neighbor. Please. Please.